0: Thank you for remaining standing as we now turn our attention to the re-he- hearing and the reading of God's Holy Word. I encourage you, if you have your copy of God's Word, to take it up with me and turn to Romans chapter 8, where we'll be reading verses 1 through 27. We continue today our, our series in basic, very basic theology and consider the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. So as we read through this portion of Romans chapter 8, look for the many, many references to God's Holy Spirit. Hear now the word of God. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemns sin, sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, Ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the Spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the Spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our Spirit that we are children, the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by the reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by... Hope, But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we, for what we should pray for as, as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that search, searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. God, our most holy God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are ever thankful that according to the perfect counsel of your gracious will, you have been pleased to call and draw us unto yourself to make of us a people who were once not a people, Now a people, for the sake of the holiness of your great name, you have sprinkled us clean in the waters of baptism, taken our cold, rebellious, stony hearts and given us new hearts, hearts with new desires and in Christ, capable of pleasing you as you search our hearts and know the motivations of our hearts. And in your mercy and kindness, knowing the weakness of our flesh, you have given your Holy Spirit to dwell in us to strengthen us, to comfort and sustain us, to be our advocate and work sanctification in us. Help us this morning, we pray, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to grow in the understanding and the love of our great God and to receive this, our reasonable worship. For we come expectantly in the name of our Christ, of Christ our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. In his work on the Holy Spirit, John Owens points out something worthy of consideration which helps us to see Scripture in the story of redemptive history that God is writing with fresh eyes, I hope. While holding tightly to the eternal unity of the one Trinitarian God, we may also see that the Bible portrays for us a history of redemption with three major divisions that progressively reveal in ever greater clarity the three persons of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Before the advent of Christ, the great testing truth was the oneness of God's nature and His sovereign rule over all, especially with respect to the person of the Father. When Christ came, the great question was whether a people holding to the first point would recognize and receive and submit to the incarnate Son of God, in whom all the fullness of the deity dwells. Then after the Son had gathered the people who received Him, He was put to death and raised up and exalted to the Father's right hand, from whence He, and the whole, he sent the Holy Spirit with, with new fullness and power upon the church. Before Christ's coming, the prominence of God the Father... During the days of Christ's earthly life, the prominence of God the Son. And since the ascension of the Son, the prominence of God the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't take this too tightly. God is always prominent in all things, at all times. But we can see, perhaps, therefore, that we live in a climactic period of redemptive history. The days of the Spirit, in light of the full revelation of the Father and of the Son... Just as Israel of old had a special responsibility to know and honor God as Father in the oneness of His nature, and just as the people of Israel had a special responsibility to know and honor Jesus as the Son of God in the days of His flesh, in one sense, then, we have a special responsibility to know and honor the Holy Spirit who has come in power to His church. The sin of despising His person and rejecting His work now is one of the same nature with the idolatry of old, with the Jews' rejection of the person of the Son, as Owen put it. So in these 27 verses we just read from Romans chapter 8, we see at least 19 explicit references to the Holy Spirit. And that is just one part of one chapter. There truly is so much to be known and said And exalted in considering the person and work of the Holy Spirit, that it is almost unfair to give that title to this message. Indeed, large volumes have been written to cover this subject, yet we would do well to at least touch on some of the most basic things that we need to know about the Holy Spirit so that we might worship Him rightly and marvel at the manifold wisdom of God and the fullness of His Trinitarian glory. To that end, we will consider the Holy Spirit as revealed in Scripture in three fundamental truths. First, the person of the Holy Spirit. Second, the work of the Holy Spirit. And finally, the evidence of the Holy Spirit. So first, the person. We often speak about the influence of the Holy Spirit and His operations and graces, but we are apt to forget the Holy Spirit is truly and actually a person, that He is a personal existence, or as we Trinitarians usually say, one person in the essence of the Godhead. I am afraid that though we do not know it, we have acquired a habit of regarding the Holy Spirit as an emanation flowing from the Father and the Son, but not actually as a being a person himself. Admittedly, it is difficult to hold in our minds the idea of the Holy Spirit as a person. We find it much easier, much easier to know and think of the Father as a person, don't we? Most especially because we we have an earthly father and we know earthly fathers. We see his perfect fatherly acts and Read His fatherly words. We know it is He who forms the, the drops of hail and the rain and who leads forth the stars by their host and calls them all by name. Likewise, we can, we can just as easily conceive of Jesus as a person, the Son of Man, a real person, because He took upon Himself flesh and bone and walked the earth and ate with sinners. It takes no great stretch of the imagination To see the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger in Bethlehem, or or to behold a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. To believe that he was persecuted and nailed to the cross for our sins. We don't even find it difficult at times to realize the person of Jesus sitting in his throne in heaven with his kingly robe filling the temple, calling the earth to judgment and making all his enemies his footstool. But when we come to deal with the Holy Spirit, His operations are so mysterious. His doings are secret. His acts are so removed from everything that has a sense of the body that we can't so easily grasp the idea of His being a person. But a person He is. The Holy Spirit is God, and He is not an influence or an emanation or a stream of something flowing from the Father, but He is as much an actual person as either God the Son or God the Father. The way we speak of the Holy Spirit also betrays this difficulty, does it not? How often have we asked or heard the question, what is the Holy Spirit? We should rather ask, who is the Holy Spirit? And I'm afraid the, the media and the... the that we watch in the books that we read, in the articles regarding the Holy Spirit, aren't much help either. If you've read, what is it, the, uh, the shack, the Holy Spirit is pictured as, as, an, as an old Asian woman, I believe. Not quite sure there. Or if you read some, some old uh, musings on Star Wars, you know, the midi-chlorian or the force is, is made as an analogy to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not a force. The Holy Spirit is a person of the Godhead. So, who is the Holy Spirit? In answer to that question, we might answer from verse 26 here in our passage from Romans chapter 8, the Spirit helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us. We read in the inerrant word of God, this personal reflexive pronoun himself and not itself because he is a person. In John 14 verses 15 and 16, we read, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. When Jesus calls him, the Holy Spirit, a helper, a counselor, or a comforter, he treats him as a person and not a force. And when he calls him another helper, he means he will be a helper like me, like Jesus. The Holy Spirit is a helper like Jesus is. He is a person. And then if we turn to verse 17 of John 14, Jesus continues to explain who the Helper is. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him. For He dwells with you and will be in you. And then in verse 26, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. All the personal pronouns are He and Him. Jesus here defines the Spirit with Himself, identifies the Spirit with Himself. Therefore, the Spirit is no less a person than Jesus is. The Holy Spirit is described not merely as the voice of God's teaching, but as a teacher in His own right. And then later in, verse, in chapter 15 of John here, He is also revealed as one who will testify and bear witness of Jesus does it not make all the difference in your life if you know and believe that you're being indwelt and led and purified not by impersonal forces from a distant God, but by a person who is, in his very essence, the love of God? Perhaps it is even a little discomforting to know that there is a personality who indwells you, who knows your every thought and knows the intentions of your heart. But this knowledge and awareness is to be to us a great comfort and a great help. Handley Mool, 85th Bishop of Durham, wrote in his person and work of the Holy Spirit these words. Never shall I forget the gain to my conscious faith and peace which came into my own soul not long after a first decisive and appropriating view of the crucified Lord as the sinner's sacrifice of peace from a more intelligent and conscious hold upon the living and most gracious personality of that Holy Spirit through whose mercy the soul had got that that blessed view. It was a new development of insight into the love of God. It was a new contact, as it were, with the inner eternal movements of redeeming goodness and a power. A new discovery in divine resources. A new development of insight. A new contact with redeeming goodness and power. A new discovery in divine resources. So much could be said of his person. The Holy Spirit relates to us in ways that reveal his personality. We grieve him, we try to resist him. We try to test Him even. And these are ways that we as persons relate to other persons, is it not? Friends, meditate upon this truth. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is the Lord and giver of life who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified, as the Nicene Creed puts it. He is one with the Father and the Son. He, along with the Father and his Son, receives all praise and honor, ever three and ever one, consubstantial, co eternal, while unending ages run. He is from all eternity a person, worthy of worship, and a right recipient of our praise. The Holy Spirit is no mere force or em- emanation. And so then, that brings us to the work of the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? As I consider the work of the Holy Spirit, it is probably most helpful to consider where his work may be least familiar to us who are gathered here this morning. We're likely much more familiar with the Spirit's work in the New Testament. I even remember a question from a, a Lord's Day Evening Fellowship some years ago where the question came up regarding the Holy Spirit in the, in the Old Testament. So in light of that question, let's take a closer look at nine works of the Holy Spirit that we find in the Old Testament, and then more briefly, we'll touch on His work in the New Testament following Pentecost. One, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was known as creator and a sustainer of life. First and most basic, the Old Testaments were conscious of God's Spirit as the creator and sustainer of their natural life. In Job 33.4, Elihu speaks for all the faithful Jews when he says, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. And in its praise to the Sovereign Lord for his creation and providence, we read in Psalm 104.30, You sent, send forth your Holy Spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. The world sees a mechanical process of reproduction, evolution, and natural selection. But the Christian ought to see the creative and marvelous work of God's Spirit just as the saints in the Old Testament did. And secondly, we see in the Old Testament the Holy Spirit did the work of a regenerator. In Numbers 14, 24, we read, But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. And in Numbers twenty-seven eighteen, And the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom, the, what, whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. The Old Testament believers were saved in the same way that we are. They were born of the Spirit. They trusted in God's promises, and they followed His commandments and obedience of faith. Thirdly, Holy Spirit was a comforting and convicting presence to the saints of the old. These familiar words from David in Psalm 139 reminds us of this particular truth. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. Old Testament believers knew the comforting and convicting presence of God's Spirit wherever they went. And four, the Holy Spirit served as a counselor and teacher. As the children of Israel assembled with fasting and sackcloth and and dust upon their heads, confessing their sins and the iniquities of their fathers, they stood and read from the book of the law. And after worshiping God, we read in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 20, you also gave your spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manner from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. By the work of the Spirit, they were able to hear the word with understanding. And then in verse 30, they understood that the prophets by the Spirit had testified against them and their fathers. And five, the Holy Spirit empowered artistry and craftsmanship We find in Exodus 31 that God not only designed His tabernacle, but He also gave gifts to be able to execute His instructions with with beauty and skill. He calls Bezalel, saying, And I have filled him with the Spirit of God and wisdom and understanding and knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze and cutting jewels for setting and carving wood. And to work in all manner of workmanship. And to Oholiab, and all his gifted artisans, he gave his spirit to be with them in wisdom so that they could build the ark and the mercy seat and all the furniture in the tabernacle, including the, the table and its utensils and the pure gold lampstand with all its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offerings with all its utensils and the labor in its base. And they even made the garments of ministry, the holy garments for Aaron, the priest. Six, the Holy Spirit gave power to denounce evil and declare righteousness. Micah declares in chapter 3, verse 8, But truly I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Where did the Old Testament prophets get the boldness to declare their unpopular messages? By the work of the Holy Spirit. Seven, the Holy Spirit gave assurance and cast out fear in the Old Testament saints. The word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, instructing him to speak to the governor of Judah and to the high priest. And he was to speak assuring words to the people. These words, according to the word that I have covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Jews returning from God's judgment and the Babylonian exile were to take heart that God's spirit would protect them, assuring them that he would keep his covenant and that they were not to be fearful, knowing his truth. Eight, the Holy Spirit manifest himself in extraordinary feats of power, did he not? As Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah, a young lion came roaring against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. And ninth, and finally, the Holy Spirit gave the ability to prophesy. In Numbers 11, we read, So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered the seventy men of the elders and of the people and placed them around the tabernacle. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took of the Spirit that was upon him and placed the same upon the seventy elders. And it happened, when the Spirit rested upon them, that they prophesied. So in answer to the fellowship question mentioned earlier, Earlier, The Holy Spirit was active and working in the Old Testament and the people were aware of His presence, though in a more limited and less glorious manner than we see in the New. According to the precious promise that we read earlier from Ezekiel 36, the Lord speaking to the house of Israel said, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, obey my rules. And you shall be my people, and I will be your God, and I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses. This truthful prophecy God declares to Israel, who are already, in one sense, his people. But there is more being conveyed here. This is a promise that God is making that will go beyond the borders of Israel. It includes all the nations. And we find a similar promise in Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after these days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is a grand and glorious promise found in both of these prophecies. No longer will the work of the Holy Spirit be limited to the offices of prophet, priest, judge, and king, and given to empower a few of his people only in special circumstances. But the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all his people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, and I will remember no more. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, this side of Pentecost being prophesied here. The Holy Spirit is at work in the lives of every single believer from the least to the greatest all of the time. And this brings us now to the evidence of this good work of the Holy Spirit. Returning to our passage here from Romans 8, we can see just in a cursory view that the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. Verse 2. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are able to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. Verse 4. Our minds are renewed such that we now set our minds on the things of the Spirit and not of the flesh, verse 5. And this spiritual blinded- mindedness leads us to life and peace, verse 6. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is the evidence that we belong to Christ. And if there is no Holy Spirit in us, then we are not His, verse 9. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same Spirit that indwells us and will surely raise us at the last day. Verse 11. As we live according to the Spirit and walk in the Spirit and yield to His holy work in us, we put to death the deeds of the flesh. Verse 13. As we follow His leading, we actively manifest the truth that we are sons of the living God. Verse 14. As sons of God through the Holy Spirit... We, in all sincerity of heart and truth, now look to God as His own dear children and address Him. Indeed, cry out to Him, Abba, Father. And the Spirit continues, that's verse 15, and the Spirit continually bears witness to us that we may surely know we are children of God. Verse 16, As those who have received the Holy Spirit, the whole outlook of our lives has been changed we find that we are no longer self-serving and self-seeking, fearing the effects of our aging bodies and the day we die. Now, as new creations in Christ, we groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of the body, because we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Verse 23. And this waiting, and this watching, and this groaning is the hope into which we are saved. Verse 24. Through all the travails of life, fraught with the continual weaknesses of our flesh, the Spirit is there helping us in our weakness and leading us to pray as we ought, even when we do not know how to pray. Verse 26. And by His holy working, the Holy Spirit searches our hearts, knowing in His righteousness what is needed and makes intercession on our behalf according to the perfect will of our Heavenly Father. Verse 27. So, people of God, aren't you glad to know that the Holy Spirit is ever present with you? He never leaves you nor forsakes you. He is with you wherever you go and whatever you are going through. According to Owens, again, to say that we are able by our own efforts to think good thoughts or give God spiritual obedience before we are spiritually regenerate is to overthrow the gospel and the faith of the universal church In all ages. According to the truth of God's word, all men are divided into one of two groups. They are either regenerate or unregenerate. We are conceived in iniquity, and spiritual darkness is the natural state of all men until God, by the almighty work of his Spirit, shines into men's hearts and and creates light in them. The nature of this spiritual darkness is something that we must understand. When men have no light to see by, they are in darkness. There is blindness. A spiritually blind man is in spiritual darkness and is ignorant of spiritual things. We also see that there is an outward darkness on men and an inward darkness in men. Outward darkness is when men do not have the light by which they are enabled to see. Outward spiritual darkness is upon men when there is nothing to enlighten them about God and spiritual things. They are governed by the fallen and depraved desires of their hearts, and so they live in sin continually, and sin's effects are clearly seen in the outward toll it takes on them. And their darkened countenance is evident to the whole world. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to remove this darkness by sending the light of the gospel. Inward darkness, on the other hand, arises from the natural depravity and corruption of the mind of men concerning spiritual things. Man's mind is depraved and corrupt in things which are natural and civil, all of life, as well as the things which are spiritual and heavenly. Man's mind, being darkened, is unable to see and receive or understand or believe to the saving of his soul. Spiritual things are the mysteries of the gospel without which the Holy Spirit first creating within them. A soul can never see and receive the things of God and it cannot bring salvation. However brilliant a mind may be, And however brilliant the preaching and presentation of the gospel might be, without the Holy Spirit first creating this light within them, they cannot receive, understand, and agree with the truths preached, and so will not be led to salvation. As the unregenerate walk in the futility of their mind, the natural inclination of the unregenerate mind is to seek those things that cannot satisfy This is the unstable mind, and it cannot and does not judge things properly. The ungenerate mind is blind, and the ungenerate heart is blind as well. Spiritual light is received by the mind and applied to the understanding and used by the heart. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness, says Jesus. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Even though the unconverted mind be highly educated and possesses a high IQ, it is utterly unable to receive and understand those spiritual things needful for eternal salvation. Such a mind will not respond to the preaching of the gospel until renewed, enlightened, and enabled to do so by the Holy Spirit But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned, Paul writes the Corinthian church. But the spiritual man, by a spiritual light received from Jesus Christ, discerns spiritual things. Paul elsewhere assures us that Christ has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Our spiritual life differs from every other kind of life. It does not come directly from God, but it is first deposited in all its fullness in Christ, our mediator. So it is out of His fullness that we receive this life. Christ is our life. It is therefore not so much we who live, but Christ who lives in us. We can do nothing by ourselves, but only by Christ's power. Paul again writes to Corinthians, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored all all the more abundantly than, than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was within me. And that inward application of grace is the work of the Holy Spirit. Do you see and know the evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in your lives daily and know the liberty that you have in Christ? If so, then rejoice with great thanksgiving before the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for what He has wrought and seek His daily leading that you might continue in that great hope of glory. Or do you know the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life But also find that you are laboring under the weight of trials, trials in this earthly life. If so, do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but are things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And dear friend, if you are yet in darkness and do not know the light of the gospel, then the most urgent matter in your life this day is to seek the Lord While he may yet be found, cry out to God to send his Holy Spirit to illumine your mind and make known the spiritual things he has revealed in his word. Let the weight of the sin and the power of its bondage in your life be a crushing burden that it truly is. And so repent and believe the gospel the good, good news that Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose the third day according to the Scriptures. For it is only by, in, and through Him that we may receive the forgiveness of sins and the adoptions of of sons and cry, Abba, Father. And so know the eternal love of our perfect Heavenly Father and enjoy the present hope of that future glory. This you do. And if there is anyone here who is in that state, who is even doubting that the Holy Spirit is active and working in their lives, please, please talk to a trusted friend. Come see us, your pastors, and we, it would be our great joy to speak to you the truths of the gospel. And so we give thanks to God for His abundant mercy. We thank Him for sending His Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit's active work in His person. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we can but offer our humble thanksgiving to you for your goodness, for it is your goodness that leads to repentance. We give you thanks for the gift of your Holy Spirit and pray that you would grant us hearts eager to follow his leading and so walk in the way everlasting. Hear our prayer. For we ask in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.